Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Can we say amen? Amen. He cares for His sheep. He lays down His life for the sheep. And sometimes He leaves the 99 and goes after the one to bring Him back to the fold. Amen? Amen. Has that ever been you? That's what God does. He loves his people. The Bible tells us that uh, when he comes back with that sheep, that heaven rejoices. He brings us all joy when he brings that sheep home. David knew about this joy. In Psalm 149, as we are called to worship through it today, David, as you will have no trouble seeing, is feeling a great deal of joy for the praise of of his king who saves people. Amen? Amen? Of his great shepherd. He said, Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and praise him in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him, and let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance, and let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory, and let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths, and a two-edged sword in their hand, to execute vengeance upon the heathen, and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains, and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute judgment that is written, the honor have all his saints." Praise ye the Lord. Amen? Amen. God's enemies will be trodden down underfoot, and it'll be under your feet. What a great privilege to be those that will trodden down the enemies of our Lord. And we will rejoice in that day. We will feast, we will gather, and we will sing. Let us pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy and rejoicing that fills our hearts to know that if you've taken us who were not a people and you have made us your people. Lord, you have made us who were uh, strangers and foreigners and aliens and you have made us fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God that you have built us upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with you yourself being the chief cornerstone. 
And Lord God, you have built us into a holy habitation in the spirit. You have made us into a body, into an army, like that army of Ezekiel's that he uh, saw in his vision. A valley filled with dry bones that stands upon its feet and becomes a great army of the Lord. We pray today as we come into your presence that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would cleanse us uh, and make us uh, wholly righteous before you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would change us and make us more like you. Lord, feed us today from heaven, for we are hungering and thirsting today after righteousness. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, standing for just a little bit more as I read for you my text my sermon today is called new house dancing everybody say it with me new house dancing dancing. my text is from Psalm 30 I'm going to read the whole psalm it's only 12 verses a song and song at the dedication of the house of David I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave, and thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall not be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. But I cried unto the Lord, O Lord, and I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me, Lord. Be thou my helper. Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing, and thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto the Lord forever. Let us pray. O Lord God, as we come to this psalm written by David, I pray that we would hear the cry and rejoicing in the joy of his heart. For the goodness that you have poured upon him. Lord, may we today do the same. You've been very good to us. You've been very kind to us. You've been very merciful to us. And Lord, we joy in it and rejoice. We should be the most joyful people on the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As most of you know, our team had planned to be on top of a mountain in the Chin Hills in just a few days from right now. We would be surrounded by the Kong Chin people in all of their cultural splendor. They would have feathers on their head and bright colored outfits on. Some of the young men would have gone with the village people out into the mountains and they would have gotten this giant cow-like creature called a mitum and they would have drug him back into the village. His 
horns, you know, glistening with the uh, the shininess of the the occasion, and his, you know, there will be uh, a egregious look on his face because he knows what's about to happen. And they would have dragged him to a tree in the center of the thing, and they would have, and with all the village gathered around, they would have shot him right there and begin to butcher him as the celebration and the feast begin. This is a way they do it in, in, uh, in Chook Village. This may not be your idea of a party, but it's definitely their idea of a party. They, don't, they can't go down into, uh, to Kroger or to Meyer or to Walmart, uh, but dinner's on, and the whole village is going to eat this massive animal. It's quite a celebration. We've done this before. In front of us all, as they killed the beast, they would begin light the fires of feasting. And darkness would begin to settle in and people would walk from the village and they would, it's something they do. You'll be standing somewhere, Brother Derek, and you're in the village and it's, it gets cool really quick because you're at high elevation. And as soon as it begins to get cool, some person from the village would light a fire right at your feet. Like their way of bringing you a little bit of warmth. And they'd begin to pile wood right where you were standing. And, and then they would do this in front of other people. And so there would be little fires kind of going around the village at the feet of people who were standing and talking. And then they would light the big bonfires. And the big bonfires eventually is where everyone would congregate as they would pick up the things that were burning and take them to the center. And then they would bring out their instruments that they say are... 800, 900, 1,000 years old. And they would begin to ting and to bang out a rhythmic song. Not a song necessarily that we like so much. Ting-ka-ting-ka-ting-ka-tong-ka-tong-ka-tong. And they're banging on the drum. And the next thing you know, what's happening, guys? Tong-ka-tong-ka-tong-ka-tong-ka. You know, and they're getting into it because it's time to rev up. We're about to start. Dancing. People would begin to dance as we have danced with them before. At other times we danced for the joy that the Christian church came from thousands and thousands of miles away and came and brought a doctor to their village, came and brought rice to their village when they were hungry, when a natural disaster had stricken them. And they rejoiced and they danced for the joy of knowing us. And it was great. That was new friendship dancing. Everybody say new friendship dancing. The body of Christ, our brothers among the Kong Chin, rejoiced that God had connected us and His blood began to flow between us, knitting us together into one body. But during this vigil that we were hoping to have, we were going to have a different kind of dancing, Brother Steve. And it was going to be called New Testament dancing. <laughs> Their New Testament has been printed out. It's, it's literally uh, tomorrow going to be available uh, in, in Myanmar. And they're going to be picking it up. And we would have been bringing it to the village. And so we weren't just new friendship dancing. We would be doing New Testament dancing. New Bible dancing. And if God permits, it's still going to happen. It just won't happen this week. In our call to worship, we heard the true words of the psalmist who said this in 149. When God sees us do this, 
He likes it. Now, this may be hard for you to deal with, but it's just what the Bible has to say. He says, praise you, the Lord, sing of the Lord a new song and praise him in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him and let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance and let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. And this is the key for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Can you believe that's even possible, Steve? It's hard for me to believe. But God loves it. He likes it. It brings him pleasure. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. That's what happens when you're full of joy. You sing. Nathaniel was telling us, I don't know who said what he said. He says, when, says, when you can say something, it's one thing. But when, you, when, when talking isn't enough, then you sing it. Right? People say, oh, I love you. Yeah, that's one thing. But I love you. That's a whole other thing. Right? I love you. I love you. Right? And dancing is a whole other level. God takes pleasure in His people. There's joy in heaven when some things happen on earth. I find this a little bit mind-bending. God loves us, and to see us experience joy on the fullest level somehow touches Him. Imagine that. Just can, we, can you just think about that for a minute? It's just hard for me to comprehend that anything that we do could affect God in any way. I think this is why some of us don't pray. Because we really don't believe that we touch God with our prayers. But we do. Folks, if He loves us, He loves it when we pray. If He loves us, He loves it when we sing. If He loves us, He loves it when we dance for joy at the good things that He's done. We might be tempted to think that because God is all-powerful and all-knowing and infinite that somehow He is untouchable by emotion. That somehow emotion is a part of the human frailty. And I really believe this is a broken part of a lot of our Christian faith. I believe that we think that emotion is part of the fall. Emotion is not a part of the fall. It couldn't be further from the truth. We are made in the image of God, and it may be a great mystery to us, but this is, you ready? God is an emotional God. And that's why we are an emotional people. Now stay with me here. Now, isn't it true that the very fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? Many of these things... If you were to talk about them, sound literally like emotions. How are you feeling? I'm feeling love. Right? How are you feeling? I'm at peace. How are you, how, how are you feeling? Oh, I have joy. Right? These are, these are literally one word expressions for emotions. Now, I'm not saying love is just an emotion. 
But I think that when we try to say love is not just an emotion, we like to say that love isn't one. But it is. Love is absolutely an emotion, and it's more than emotion as well. Love may be the most clearly defined of all the emotions. In fact, we all know what it is to feel love for someone. Even if we can't define it, love is a very real thing. And it is the fruit of the Spirit of God that even makes it sense to say God is love. I had to look it up. I, like my own brain, you know, I'm like, okay, is this one of these things, you know, I, and I know that I know first John, but I'm like, I got to read it myself. God is love. Like, it's hard to say God is anything, right? He's God. God is God. But to say that God is love almost sounds like we're saying something. We're like demeaning him in some way. But folks, it's not demeaning of God to say that he is love. The Bible says the fruit of the spirit, the gateway fruit to everything else is what it is. It's love. I don't think it would be taking it too far to also conclude that if God is love, that God is joy. That God is peace. Don't we all want the peace of God that passes understanding to keep our hearts and minds? Of course we do. We want to feel peace in the same way that we want to feel love and joy. Now we may not picture God this way when we picture Him in our minds. But God feels love and peace, and He is joyful. We don't really think of God this way. We don't think of God being joyful, being happy, right? We think of how, how do we think of God? Austere. Furrowed brow. I don't mean all, maybe you don't, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people do. I think they're scared of God. They don't see Him as the laughing papa that He is. He loves us. You know, I stand up here and I look at a lot of you and I laugh for joy. It fills me with a great deal of joy in my heart just to see you. When I watch the little kids playing, I remember a few, uh, well, not a few, but several months ago, I remember these first two pews, there were a bunch of little girls and they were in these little rows and they were all braiding each other's hair. And one was behind the other, behind the other. And I just remember going... Oh, I love that. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You ever see that? You ever see, you ever see like a, a, another girl take a brush and sit behind another girl and brush her hair? And they're just talking. And what do you see? They love each other. That's what I love about it. Not, you know, there's nothing intrinsic in the hair, you know, whatever. You could be doing, I guess, to the fake hair or something. But, 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 there, but there's the affection involved. There's the love involved. There's the closeness, right? When we think of Psalm 2, we hear David declare that God sits in the heavens and he laughs. Now, nobody's thinking that's the kind of laugh you want God to be laughing, right? God's going, <laughs> oh, they're going to they're gonna cast my bands asunder. <laughs> no, you don't want God doing that kind of laugh. But it says that he does. Now, I know God isn't a man, but, but David said it. It's in God's word. It's inspired. But we're not really thinking of a joyful God here. But God is a joyful God. I don't think it would be too far to say that God laughs like we can't imagine. That there are things that he sees. And we know that he gets displeased. We know that his anger is hot. Right? We know that he's affected by the prayers of our pleading when we're in trouble. And if he is affected by our 
troubles, I think he actually is also affected by the things that make him laugh. I think he looks down on Steve Foisy sometimes and goes, ah, look at Steve. Look at him. He's reading a book to Cyrus and, and he's getting into it and he's doing the voices and, and Cyrus is feeling the love of a father. He's not alone out here like some of the people are in the world. Cyrus is going to know what it's like to have a God like me who loves and who cares for his children, who tenderly holds them in his arms. And God says, I love it. And he laughs. We are made in the image of God and because of this, we love and we laugh and we dance. I think God dances. I can't exactly see how it's possible. How you can say that God can dance. I mean, he doesn't have a body like man. And uh, Well, you write your own commentary. Laughter is a high form of joy. <laughs> you ever just laugh because you're happy? You ever, you ever do this? You ever just like, like, wow. You hear something, you know. You're like, wow, you know, my tax return is bigger than I thought. Not smaller, excuse me, small. It's like bigger. <laughs> it, it, do you guys, does anybody ever laugh when you feel happy? There was a guy once that checked his bank. I think Steve was telling us about it, and he had like an extra hundred grand in there. He withdrew it immediately. <laughs> Smart man. When the bank said they wanted it back, he said, I had prayed that God would bless me, and he did. And I used it to pay off all my debts. That was a mistake, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. But it's gone now. I bet you that man was going, <laughs> right? Laughter is a high form of joy. Hearts burst forth, though, when it's even more than just, uh, you know, uh, laughter, it comes out in song. But it seems that it is clear that dancing may be the fullest expression, the full body experience of joy. Dancing is joy filling all that we are and it isn't just showing on our faces. It isn't just coming out our vocal cords, but it is coursing through all of our being and making it impossible to stay still. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever, ever been that happy? I've been that happy. That's why dancing happens during our most joyful celebrations. Now, most of us have really never danced with joy in a corporate setting because we really don't know how to do it. It's been sterilized from our Christian culture and even perverted and distorted by them. You know, we talked about raising hands. They, didn't, they don't want to raise hands in some places because people with false doctrine raise their hands. But I'm just going to tell you, I really don't think that the world owns dancing. I really don't. I think we've been so afraid of strange fire that we don't even want any fire at all. The heathen have stolen this form of joy from us as if they were the ones with joy, and they are not. Brothers and sisters, they know nothing of real joy. We are God's song of joy. We are His dancers.
Now, don't get scared. We're not going to have, you know, whatever. But I'll tell you what. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ will one day dance. Now, I don't know how it'll happen. Maybe it'll never happen in your lifetime. Maybe it'll never happen in mine. But I think the people of God will own it again. God likes watching us dance. Wouldn't be in his word that we ought to do it if he, if he didn't. At least that's what it says. God loves to see us happy. He loves to see joy fill us until it affects our faces, springs forth from us in song, and overcomes our pride and takes us into a tidal wave of goodness. Oh. Isn't that what David did? The Ark of the Covenant had been in the hands of the Philistines. Their enemies had defeated him. And David is like, I can wear my suit. I can wear my tie. I can wear my kingly robes. I can wear the crown on my head. But I'm taking it off. And I'm just dancing for joy. And, I'm and they're like, oh, what is wrong with him? <laughs> He's so undignified. And oh, what is wrong with him? And his wife is like, you know, that's not really stately and kingly. Don't you realize you've made a fool of yourself? And he said, I will make myself even more vile. He wasn't trying to be gross. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to. He was just overcome with it. His whole life, his whole, the excitement of it. God's ark is coming back. The kingdom of God has the ark of the covenant where lightning strike forth and destroy our enemies. Folks, recovering the ark of the covenant was a big deal. That's recovered ark. Dancing. There's new house dancing. There's recover the ark dancing. There's Bible translation dancing. Here in Psalm 30, King David finds himself at a place in his life where joy has washed over him because of the goodness of God. David has gotten a new house, and David was doing some new house dancing. David wrote Psalm 30, and he used it on the occasion of dedicating. This house to God. Now it wasn't just a new house in the sense of he had an old house and he was going to get another one. Okay? It was way, 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 way more intense than that. This house represented the fruition of God's promises to him and the end of years of pain and uncertainty and great difficulty. David had been anointed king as a, as a young boy. And since that time, he was chased and harried and, and, and was running for his life from Saul, who was trying to kill him. And even when Saul was dead, Israel still wouldn't follow him. And for seven and a half years, he only ruled part of Israel from Hebron over the tribe of Judah. And for seven and a half years, Israel was divided. But on this day, the people of Israel came and they said, we want to be under you. And David, in all of his excitement, he goes to the Jebusite city of Jerusalem. His guys go. They swim up Hezekiah's tunnel. And they come in there. They destroy it. They make, they make on Mount Zion a great house for him. And a heathen king of Tyre. Not a believer. Not, not anybody you would want to hang out with, I'm sure. Sends cedars to build a house. For David, and he's not just in a, he's in a palace, he's in a fortress, he's on Mount Zion in his palace, which we have been to. You can the footers are still there. You can still go to the palace of David and go underneath it and, and see what they built in this story. His life was turned upside down for so long, 
his, the uncertainty, the pain, the difficulty, and now he's sitting there smelling the cedars. Can you imagine this? Brand new cedar house, smells amazing. He's in like this impregnable fortress. The kingdom's been united. And he's like, all right, I'm gonna t- I know what to do now. <laughs> I know what to do now because this happened before. I'm about to get I'm about to get excited. So they called the people together and we heard it in our reading, right? Then came the tribes of Israel to Hebron. They said, "David, behold, we are bone of thy bone and flesh of thy flesh." Saul was king over us. You led us, you brought us into Israel. The Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and the king David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over all of Israel. And he was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned for 33 years and over all of Israel. This was that day. It's a big day. He was finally at rest. He was smelling the sweet cedars, sitting under the great beams of honor. No doubt seeing the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2 as the king of Tyre. Bless him. Right? He's going, wow. Wow. (laughs) Kiss the son. He was the son of God at this moment. He was the son of God in that he was God's man. Kiss the son. That's me. I'm David. Right here. God's my God. King of kings, Lord of lords. I work for him. The emotion of all this goodness surrounding him, filling all of his earthly senses, breathing in all of this into his depths. He wrote Psalm 30. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and thou hast made my foes to rejoice over me. My my enemies are even glad for me. King Tyre up there. These guys were bad dudes. The guys in Tyre and Sidon, they were not the guys you bring home for dinner. They would maybe make you for dinner, but... There atop Mount Zion, literally a beautiful place, a fortress with an incredible water source underneath it, impregnable as it was, right? Including in the palace grounds, the pool of Siloam. David realized that God had lifted him up literally and figuratively. He's up on Mount Zion. He's, he's lifted up. He's up there. But he knew it was God who did it. It was God's doing, God fulfilling his promises in him and through him. God would not allow David's enemies to have the last laugh. They would not rejoice over him because God had defeated them. David had defeated the Jebusites and taken the fortress there at Zion, but it was not his victory. He knew it was God's. This is how we should see all the blessings of our life. Our rejoicing should be, look what the Lord has done. Good things are going to happen in our lives. And if we jump up and down and we go, look what I did. We're going to miss the whole thing. We used to sing this song and... and I don't know. Maybe we could sing it again. I don't know. It'd probably scare the living daylights out of you. It's called, Look What the Lord Has Done. 
Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Oh, he healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Bom, bom, bom. A little scary for our church, huh? I'm going to praise his name. He's every day the same. Oh, look, you know, look what the Lord has done. Bom, 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 bom. You know, like, well, come on now. Folks, I think that might be a little bit more like what was going on with David. Verse 2, he accentuated his faith in this truth by singing how the deliverance came. Verse 2, oh Lord my God, you know how the deliverance came? I cried unto you and you heard my call. Can you imagine the many nights, Daniel, can you imagine the many nights he prayed? Saul's chasing him. He's living out down there in Engedi near these uh, uh, springs that are down there. Running from Saul, hiding in caves, and he's in those caves saying, Oh, Lord, deliver me from my enemies. Oh, Lord, you know that you've anointed me. You said I'm going to be king, and, and Lord, save me. How many nights had this gone on? For years. He's like, I cried unto the Lord, and you heard me. You delivered me. You brought me to this place. You defeated my enemies. You put me in this palace. I'm smelling the cedars of it, and this is a great day for me. That's what's going on here in Psalm 30. Sin sick as he was, God had healed him and he was about to make a covenant with him to establish his house forever. What's an amazing thing to me is that the covenant that God makes with David, he makes after David writes this psalm. He makes after God had given him this house. After God had made him king, then God makes the covenant with David. You know, that's what God does. God does things for us before he even has to. This would not happen until a few years later David's house was dedicated, but it is where God established his house in a tangible way even before he had promised to establish his kingdom forever in the broader sense. God often works like this, it seems. Now I'll tell you what, I remember as I was reading this, I remember God quickening to my heart something that happens after this, and, and I was so glad that I went and looked to read it because when I did, I was like, ah, <laughs> I wanted to read God making this promise to David. I wanted to read how it came about that God said, David, I love you. I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. You are going to be my son and your kingdom will never end and your descendants are going to rule the earth and this prophecy of Christ coming through David. What an honor. Amen. How did it happen? It happened in sitting in that house, Will. 2 Samuel 7, and it came to pass when the David sat in his house that the Lord had given him rest round about him from all of his enemies that David got to thinking about the goodness of God. He got to thinking about, look what God has done for me. He's been so good to me. I want to do something for him. So he goes and gets Nathan the prophet. And he says, Nathan... Look at my house. Smell the cedar. Check it out. And he goes, and God, the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent. And the brazen labor is in a tent. And the, the, the altar and the incense and, and all this, it's in the tent. And I live in a cedar palace. God gave David a house and it made David want to give God a house. You see, that's what true thanksgiving does. When God does something good for you, you want to do something good for God. You want to do something good for other people. 
God doesn't bless you and you go, that's not quite enough. I'd like some more. You get blessed and you're just thinking, I'm ready to like, you know, start, wait, hey, what can I do? Who can I help? What can I, Nathan said, go king, do all that's in your heart for the Lord is with you. And it came to pass that the word of the Lord said, thus the Lord Shall you build me a house? And he, he says, you know, I'm going to have your son build it. We know the story, right? But he said, let me explain to you. I'm building you into a house right now. Your son is going to build this actual house, but I'm going to build you into a house. And he says, I have not dwelt in any house since the time I brought the children up out of Egypt, even to this day. But I've walked in a tent and a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I walked, the children of Israel spake, I as the word, the tribes of Israel, and I commanded to feed the people, saying, why build ye? Me not a house of cedar. Now therefore shalt thou say to my servant David, thus saith the Lord, I took you from the sheep goat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people. And I was with thee where you went, and I've cut off your enemies out of thy sight, and I've made a great name for you, like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and they may dwell in the place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall my children of the children of the wickedness afflict thee any more as before. And he begins to make a covenant with David. This happens after Psalm 30. Isn't this amazing? I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. Thou hast made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. Now here in verse 3, David remembers how death should have been his portion again and again, yet God had saved him. He had saved him from the heavy hand of Goliath, and he had saved him from wicked King Saul and from Saul's soldiers and again from the Philistines who chased after him as well. Again and again, the grave should have been a home to him, but God had built him a house of cedar and he was going to preserve it. Verse 3, O Lord, thou hast brought me up and brought my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. He understood that his longevity, that his strength, that his kingdom and everything was owed to God and God alone. Pride is such a waste. It's so ignorant. That's why God doesn't use very many mighty men. Mighty, it's hard not to be proud when you're a mighty man. But God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He encourages all of God's people. David does in verse 4. He's come to realize God did all this. God saved my life. God put me here. I cried to the Lord and God heard me. Israel, you know what you should do? You should praise the Lord with me. That's what joy does. Joy doesn't want to just rejoice by itself, right? What's the first thing you do? You get good news and what do you want to do? Jonathan, you are not going to believe. I just got this phone call and these people are going to... Right? Isn't that what you do? You run into Jonathan that Ben and George, you're like, wait a minute, I gotta tell you this thing that God did for me. This is so good. This is so amazing. So incredible. Wow. You know? <coughs> That's what it does. You get excited and you, your excitement bubbles over onto other people. Verse 4 Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints, give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. May we always be filled with thanksgiving as we remember the goodness of God and his many deliverance from ourselves and from our enemies. May we take time to count the blessings of His salvation and our entrance into His kingdom, into His church and the people that we are before Him. Amen? In verse 5, He calls God's people to an optimistic outlook. 
on the picture of their lives with God themselves. And this should be how we view our own. Verse 5, for his anger endures but a moment. You might be in a bad situation right now. He's like, Israel, you may not want to rejoice with me. You may not be excited because it it looks like God's mad with you. But you know, God's anger only endures for a little bit. His anger endures but a moment, but in his favor is life. Weeping, yes. You you may be weeping now from, from the wounds, from your discipline. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Our sin kindles the anger of God and deserves it. And often is awarded by his correction. But for us who God is saving. This is not given to us to punish us. But to make us more like him. Our weeping from our own sin and his correction may be difficult for us. But it has a crop that it yields. It says in Hebrews chapter 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children? It's from uh, Proverbs chapter 3. My My son despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he he chastens, he scourges every son whom he receives. If you can endure the chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom that the father does not chasten? But if you be without chastisement, wherefore you are partakers, then you are not sons, you are bastards. Furthermore, we have had fathers in our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For verily, for the few days we are chastened after, our, after their pleasure, but it is for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. No chastening in the present time seems joyous, but it seems grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them, which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up hands that hang down and feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which lay and be turned out of the way and let it rather be healed. David understood that his weeping, that, that the weeping from our discipline endures for a little while, but joy comes in the morning, that, that his anger is turned against us, but joy is the result of it always. This is how our life, you should see every day of your life, every circumstance. Verse 6, David remembers his pride. He said, in my prosperity, when I was doing really good, I I said, I shall never be moved. God has a way of healing us of our foolishness, does he not? Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. You did hide your face and I was troubled. Sometimes it does seem that God hides his face from us, but he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And his eye never, ever leaves us. His face is never really hidden from us. Verse 8, I cried unto the Lord and the Lord, and I made supplication. Folks, the Bible says in the time of adversity, we should consider at the time of our difficulty, we should lift up our voices to God and say, God, what have I done? How are you correcting me, O Lord? What are you teaching me? In verse 9, David explains how much more praise, how much more we could praise God If he lets us live, he's kind of speaking in hyperbole. Lord, you know, if you would have killed me, the dust can't praise you. He's kind of like, you know, if you just don't, if you just tolerate me and have mercy on me, God, I'm going to praise you more than the dirt and the dust. And if I'm dead, I can't praise you. And he's just kind of reminding God that, you know, I'm making it worth your while, God. A little bit funny, but that's what he's saying. 
what profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me, Lord, be my helper. Verse 11, for thou hast turned my mourning into... Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. What is a garment of gladness more than dancing? To the end that my glory may sing praise unto thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. New house dancing is great. And that's what Psalm 30 talks to us about. But I'd like to close with something even better than new house dancing. How about new heart dancing? Amen. It's an amazing thing to me that angels dance. You won't find dancing mentioned in the New Testament uh, in a way that you really can notice. But if you do know the language that you're reading and you can read the Greek, you'll find that every time, many, many of the times that it talks about rejoicing and making merry and celebration, that those words are dancing words. Every one of them is swirl. Leap, twirl, do a jig. I don't think that's actually in the, in the Greek, but something like that. In, in, in Luke 15, if you want to do a lexicon, if you want to do a search, you'll find what I'm telling you to be true. I'm going to close with this. And we read it in our, our New Testament reading, but I'm going to close with some thoughts from this. Then drew near the publicans and sinners to hear Jesus in Luke 15, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And he spake the parable, saying, What man of you had a hundred sheep? If he lost one of them, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he lays on his shoulders rejoicing. Can you picture the guy with the sheep? He's like, I got my sheep. I got my sheep. I got my sheep. Right? And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. When you look up this, rejoice with me, he's saying, Let's dance. Let's get excited. I thought this sheep, I thought he was eaten by a wolf, or I thought he was eaten by a lion or a bear, but he's not. He's right here. And I love my sheep. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice. He said, Likewise, there shall be joy in heaven. This is so amazing to me. I mean, honestly, and maybe it's just the way I, maybe my own imagination has worked. I never really thought of heaven like this. I mean, I think of angels as being these straight-faced people that God says to do stuff, and they do it. You know? I don't think of the angels in heaven going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look what's going on. Jonathan's doing the right thing today. Jonathan's laying down his life for somebody. Oh, yeah. Come on. Someone spoke the word of God to someone. Faith has been born in their heart. Oh, look at them. They're being baptized today. Look at them. They got their hands raised and tears are coming down their faces. They're saying, I am a child of God. I renounce sin and I renounce who I was and I want to serve the living God. And heaven's going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Woo! And you go, oh, heaven's not like that. Read the Bible. <laughs> There shall be joy in heaven over one sinner that repents more than the 99 persons who need no repentance. And he said, and just in case you didn't understand it, I'm going to make the picture clear. What woman having 10 pieces of silver if she lost one? Does she not light a candle and sweep the house and seek it diligently? 
You may not know this or you may not remember from my teaching about the life of Jesus. These just weren't any coins. They had a set of coins that represented their family. This is something very important that was lost. And when she finds this coin, she was fretting. The other day, I lost a $100 bill. And I'm like ready to tear the house down. I'm like, hey, come on now. Let's find it. And the kids are like, yeah, whatever. You know. I'm like, come on. We gotta find it. You know, imagine if we had lost a family heirloom that represented me and my whole family. And you, and you lost it. What do you do? When she found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, rejoice. Dance with me. For I have found the peace that I had lost. That's called found coin dancing. Verse 10, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels. There's dancing in heaven over one sinner that repents. This is called found son rejoicing. He said there was a certain man that had two sons because that's where he's going. He's going, you may not rejoice over coins and you may not rejoice over sheep, but I think you're going to follow me on this story, people. What about a man who has two sons? The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me, divided among his living. And many of them, days that the younger son gathered together, and they took a journey into the far country, and then he wasted his substance with riotous living. No joy in that. We didn't spend it all. It rose a mighty famine in the land. He began to be in want. And when he joined himself to a citizen of that country, he sent him into his fields to feed his swine. No joy in that. Sin doesn't bring you joy. Sin lies to you. It promises you fun. It promises you pleasure. It promises you all of these things. It is a liar and a thief. You will get this much and it will cost you this much. The devil loves to tease you and he loves to promise you and he wants to waste you and destroy you because he doesn't like it when you dance for the joy of living right. He would fain have filled his belly with the husk, the swine that he, and no one gave him anything. Folks, that's the picture of sin. The Bible said there is pleasure in sin for a season, but it's a short season. When he came to himself, he said, How my hired servants and my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He wasn't expecting a party. He just wanted to be let in the back door. That's what repentance is. Repentance is and open the door and give me the robe. Repentance is just let me live in the servants' quarters. I won't bother you. I won't even look up. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and he ran. Here we have a father running. What do you think his heart? There he is. There he is. There he is. His run is also like a dance itself. He had compassion. He ran. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am I no more worthy to be called thy son? But the father said to his servants, Bring the best robe I have. Put it on and put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring him with a fatted calf. What do you think is about to happen? They're about to kill the mitum. They're about to build a fire. They're about to dance. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Look it up. Meet and be merry. What be merry means. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. 
the elder son was in the field, he came and drew nigh to the house, and he heard the music and the... And he called the servants and he asked what things they meant. And he said, thy brothers come home. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he had received him safe and sound. And he was mad and he wouldn't go. Therefore came out his father and entreated him. He answered and said to his father, lo, these many years did I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet thou never gave me a kid that I make, make, make merry. I might dance with my friends. But as soon as your son was come, you devoured a living harlot. You killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, you are with me forever. All that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For thy brother was dead and is alive again. And was lost and now he's found. You know, there's something when someone... There's rejoicing that we need to do when someone is lost. You know, there's rejoicing. We can rejoice over those that weren't lost. We're about to rejoice over Abby today. She's not the daughter that left home. And lived bad and came home. Right? She's, she's, she's the daughter of this right here. Amen? He's, sometimes we have to be reminded that we don't have to go away to come back to bring God joy. That God enjoys his people sitting in the pews, singing the songs, dancing their fingers over the keys of the keyboard, lifting up his voice, standing up and saying, Behold our God. Seated on his throne. God goes, I like that. I love that. And I don't think it would be too far from saying that when we dance, that God dances with us. And he rejoices. Lost coin, lost sheep. Found coin, found sheep. Dancing. Let us pray. Lord God, teach us how to please you, Lord. Help us to shake off our convention. Help us to be unfettered in our love for you. Help us to not be more concerned with what others think. Fill us with those incredible, overflowing, all-encompassing joy that you have to offer that joy that comes from the holy spirit that fruit let us be a joyful people let us not be known as the austere as the cold as the frozen oh lord i think that's a it's a lie about who you are no don't let that be us lord i pray god that you would just teach us how to love you and that you would take joy in your people today. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.